Hello and welcome to Walking the Earth Podcast, the podcast about the backpacking experience. I'm Justin Castle, calling in from New York, New York. And I'm Mike Margulies, calling in today from Penang, Malaysia. Uh, and our guests are calling in from Santiago, Chile. We've got Lindsay and Tom on the line. Lindsay and Tom, how are you guys doing? Well, welcome. I'm doing really well, actually. Doing, yeah. doing great. Hi. Nice to awesome. finally connect with you after our month or so of disconnection. <laughs> yeah, we've been trying to do this uh, this call for some time, and I guess we've each had different uh, technical difficulties with internet or uh, just logistical things, and right. uh, a lot of it was on my end, actually. But I guess we finally uh, got together. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess and the, what you guys are doing um, is pretty awesome. So you guys are in Santiago right now, and this weekend you're starting a journey where you're going to basically be walking 435 miles or 700 kilometers for our uh, non-U.S. listeners, um, raising money uh, <laughs> to protect various parks in Chile. And um, it, yeah, it's pretty. Uh, sounds like a pretty awesome little feat you're about yeah. to set off it's on. Inc- sounds incredible. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Hopefully, it works out. <laughs> what was your inspiration for the the voyage? One of one of our inspirations definitely was one of our mutual friends from Scotland, who is a fellow adventurer and environmental scientist, Will Copestake, who also has a blog and put, does photography and everything. Who uh, mentioned his advertised his expedition here? I guess a little bit that he's finished now, but he managed to over the course of a year. Solo, solo circumnavigate Scotland's coast on a kayak and summit all 282 of Scotland's Monroes, which are mountains over 3,000 feet. Holy crap. So he spent a year doing that, and he's definitely one of our good friends and inspirations for doing things like this. Wow. that's inc- Holy crap. Hey, Mike, we got to get that guy on here, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should definitely. <laughs> yeah, like, well, I, I, I can... I can point him in your direction i'm sure he'd be happy to do oh, it absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. well uh i'll get that after after the show um but you what you guys are doing is no is 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 no short feat like that's no simple a task you're doing 435 miles or 700 kilometers and i looked at your route map which i found on lindsay-and-tom.com and that is that looks pretty treacherous. I mean, I, I mean, could you speak more about the terrain? It looks like it's it's going to be winter. It looks like there's mountains. It looks like it's going to be a lot of difficult uh, transportation. How how are you? What's the terrain like, and how are you going to navigate it? Let me put it that way. All right. Well, Tom's pointing at me to talk, even though he's the one that put most of the route together. <laughs> so I'll start it, but he'll probably have to finish this little section. Um, we had to be, all right. So originally when we were trying to put together this expedition, we had no idea what exactly we wanted to do, like kayak the coast, walk all of Chile, do bicycle, the whole thing. We had no idea. Right. And then kind of things started getting narrowed down because Chile is freakishly long. Like you see it's long on a map, but we're still like, we can visit all of it, but you can't, you can't visit all of it. So we had to just start narrowing it down to what section we could walk <laughs> and how far we could go. And it eventually became this Puerto Montt Sequoia 
And even now we're still having, um, we probably, we are going to try to actually walk all those 435 miles, but there's a decent chance we're going to have to hitchhike part of it in order to make it back in time for our flights in September. <laughs> Whoa. Um, so there is a deadline. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, mid-August, we actually have a volunteering gig in the island of Chiloé. So we have to be down in Koyaike at that point. So mm. um, yeah. we've had to cut out a few of the mountains we wanted to summit in order to stay safe with what we can carry and in order to make the time in order to try and get all 435 actually on foot. Yeah, it was definitely hard to put together because you know from europe you're kind of like from the states you're kind of used to really good maps detailed maps you know one to fifty thousand one to twenty five thousand with every little boulder and every little house on the map it's like you know you can navigate really easily here it doesn't really exist like hmm. the best i could get was one to two hundred and fifty thousand at the national geographical military institute and they are topographical maps, the only ones I've managed to find in all of Santiago. Wow. And some of the mountains along the route are just blank spaces. I mean, they're just white spots that just say no data. And Holy so definitely crap. there's a lot of potential for explorations. There's a lot of unclimbed mountains down in the south. There's a lot of first summits to be had. And... This is not the expedition for it, unfortunately. <laughs> walking, walking 450 miles, unfortunately, doesn't allow us to carry any climbing gear. So this is not what we're going to do. Right. But it kind of just like gives the idea of what's down there. And it'll be winter down there. And we will be at least carrying snowshoes because there will probably be a lot of snow in the mountains. Yeah. And we still want to climb some. Even though we want to stay safe. And Yeah. I was, yeah. We will be sticking to some valleys and stuff, but we do still want to climb some mountains, so yeah. still in the plan. I was, I was yeah, I think the winter thing makes it even more, um, you know, so it's June, um, so in the U.S. and everything, right, it's summertime and Europe, but yeah, in South America, it's winter now, and you guys were telling us before the call, even where you are now, you're already, before you even started this trek, you're already kind of like feeling the effects of the this winter, you know, you're wearing all your clothes indoors, and so <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine while you're trekking out <laughs> through the wilderness, uh, you're going to have to face the elements even more. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's not as much as the cold that we're concerned about. It's mostly the rain. It's down south, not uh, in the mountains, but down in the valleys and in the forest. It's the tempered Valdivian rainforest, which is, you know, human-sized ferns, bamboos, and, you know, the tallest trees in South America. Huh. Something along the line you would fall, you would find in, you know, the Olympic Peninsula in the Pacific Northwest in the States. Very rainy. Wait, so, okay, so that's going to be rainy this time of the season still? Is that correct? Yeah. It, yeah. Yes, down in the valleys, it'll be rainy and green, and up in the mountains, it'll be cold and snowy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. So it's it'll still be, you know, what kind of what kind of temperatures are we talking about? Difference between the valleys versus the the peaks? Like, what can you give us a feel of that? Down in the valleys, looking probably something 35, 40 degrees, something close to freezing, but hanging just around there. 
up in the mountains, you know, below 32, freezing all the time. Oh, mm-hmm. God. Okay, I, now I understand why the rain would suck, because that's cold rain. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, because yeah. It'll, be, it'll be rainy and it'll freeze. Are you- <laughs> Mike, I heard you talking. And maybe you guys can um, bring us a, a snowboard or skis and, like, ski your way down the slopes back to, you know, when you're at the top, ski your way down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I would absolutely love to do that, do some long ski touring expedition and just stay on skis for a couple yeah. of weeks. But with the but the situation, you have to get down to the valleys to cross some things. You have to go this way and that. It's like, it's not that everything's covered in snow. There's, right. there's forests in the way. So. Or rivers or yeah. rocks. <laughs> so, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I... Definitely plan for someday like you know like you said before go like antarctica or something do some long skiing expedition but yeah this this environment doesn't really allow that i i unfortunately, unfortunately yeah i gotcha i gotcha that's really a tree or something <laughs> yeah that's really cool i've i think the farthest i've ever walked ever was like in a day maybe like 10 10 or so miles i don't know i don't know it sounds really insignificant <laughs> but uh <laughs> well i mean we're not going to be walking any more than 10 miles 10 miles a day oh, okay. yeah, yeah I was like, oh. <laughs> maybe less maybe more <laughs> but probably not oh, okay but but the thing is like you guys have to carry all your food you have to carry your food you have to carry your you know i'm assuming you're camping is that right yeah 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 absolutely so you've got you got food, you've got camping supplies, you've got um, I don't know cooking supplies, clothing, yeah, what a- uh, tents. Uh, right now, all of our stuff we recently rainproofed it again, so hope it's all drying. Hopefully, it'll be dry by Sunday when we leave. You uh, rainproofed Sundays it in three days. What do, you, what do you mean you rainproofed it? Well, like you have a coating on it or something? Well. Yeah, so all of our jackets and pants and stuff are getting a little old, so we bought some new waterproofing liquid, and we washed all of our stuff with it, so hopefully now it's all renewed, and hopefully Sunday, our leaving departure date is in three days, so hopefully it'll be dry by then. It's been raining the last two days, which hasn't helped with drying. I didn't even know that existed, so you can, like, wash your stuff in a rainproofing liquid of some sort and then you'll have waterproof stuff yeah well it has to be stuff that has been waterproof before like graphics and you know uh kind of outdoor clothes like these but over time like these water the waterproofing gore-tex and everything it kind of wears away and you have to renew it from time to time some people do it like run it for a little bit in dryer and hot temperature and melt it a little bit to, you know, rewaterproof it. Sometimes that works or like running some recommend like ironing it a little bit, but they sell uh, water treat, like waterproofing treatments that you can spray on or wash in or stuff like to kind of renew, renew the waterproofness I guess of, so. your, of the Gore-Tex clothes. And oh, nice. Yeah. I, I know that. Yeah, I I know that I've I have seen that before. Actually, I need to do that to one of my jackets. So um, <laughs> I need I need exactly what you have. I need to go to <laughs> I need to go like a Easter Mountain Sports Supply or something like that. Um, yeah, but I, Mike. Yeah, they should definitely have those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Um, Go ahead, Mike. Oh, Tom, I'm, I'm also wondering, uh, it sounded like you've done this kind of, um, you've done trekking sort of thing, adventures like this before, not quite like this, but it sounds like in Europe, you were doing, when it was better mapped and everything, you've done these kind of adventures previously. Not quite like this, yeah. I've never right, done, not quite like this. Yeah, two months of two months of camping or or winter two months of winter camping. The most hiking, like camping, probably eight to ten days. Okay. And I mean, in Scotland, it's uh, there's tough conditions there, so definitely some micro navigation, you know, and whiteouts and night navigation and things like this so there's the mountains in scotland are not very high but are quite treacherous and kind of hard to navigate so navigation is a big part of you know doing mountains in scotland and everybody places a lot of importance on that aspect gotcha i gotcha i can think before because i can navigate but not nearly as well as tom can <laughs> okay and and i th- i kind of want to give everybody who's listening a little bit of context so so, Lindsay, I know that you've gone to school, um, you've done, I think, environmental studies, is that correct? Environmental sciences? Yeah, I environmental science and environmental education. So you're somewhat familiar, you're pretty familiar with being out, you know, camping, being amongst uh, the natural elements and things like mm-hmm. that. What, what's your, what's your ex- yeah. uh, experiences of going camping, hiking, <coughs> and, and the winter climates also? Um, the winter climate is actually not something I've done a lot in. I mean, gone skiing for a day or two, sure. But I actually haven't really done much winter camping. I've done kind of the three-season spring to fall sort of stuff. Uh, but I've, I don't know, kind of like Tom, eight to ten days is the longest I've done before. So this will definitely be <laughs> pushing things this'll... a little bit. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to blow that out of the water. Holy crap. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I mean, it's a lot of the same gear. It's just for a lot longer, right? And a trip for three days, you have to carry pretty much all the same gear as a trip for two months. You just need to have a bit more logistics as far as like a satellite phone type thing and mailing your food ahead of where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So that is so are you is that what you're doing for food? You're going to coordinate all of that ahead of time? Yeah, we actually have been putting boxes together. We have four packages that we're sending out um, at different stops along the way um, where they're going to be held either at the post office if we were able to contact the post office directly or in one case they are being held at um, a hotel that we are or a yeah, kind of hostile, hostile, hostile place, place that we're we're gonna spend a night in in exchange for him holding onto our package for a few weeks. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> All right, that's wow, that's a neat way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that's definitely been an interesting experience trying to coordinate all of this in the last couple of days in Spanish <laughs> because. Well, you Tom's Spanish is pretty good. Mine's not, but. <laughs> But yeah, we've been putting packages of food and organizing all that for about the last <laughs> week. And I don't know, during the last week, we've been realizing how much, like, last minute we've left everything. And we have, you know, we have four boxes of food. And when I called, like, some post offices before, was like, yeah, sure, sure, you know, we can hold your package there for a couple of weeks. And when we went to the post office here in Santiago today, they said, 
no, no, they can't hold it for more than seven days. You know, that's against the protocol. And, you know, it's like just Whoa. seven days. And after that, the package should like return. Whoa. No, it can't return. Like that has, we have probably more than yeah, $300 worth of food that we've been buying. And yeah. like, it's going to cost us, you know, more than a hundred dollars probably. To Plus our practices. life is going to depend on the food. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a thing is thing in Chile is basically everybody in Santiago will tell you that Santiago is the worst place to get to know Chile. You know, it is the capital <laughs> and it is like notoriously any capital, you know, people from all over the country kind of look right. down on the people in the capital and I know it's a busy life. It's a city. It's a big city and people in other places are usually, well, they are and are known to be, to be a lot more friendly than people are here. Okay. So we felt we had a lot more, chances like of success dealing with people down south with the post offices down right. there and you know not listening to the post office in the main square of right. santiago right and yeah so, so tom today um after after the santiago we carried two of our very large packages through the metro to the center of santiago to go to the post office and after we got there we were told that no you can't. They can't be held for more than seven days. So we took our large, heavy packages back to the metro and back home, and then we called oh. the post offices and the hostel and whatnot down south and told them our situation. And they're like, "Yeah, sure, whatever. We can hold it for however oh. long you need it." Like that's cool. Fine. Ah, so it worked out. <laughs> Just, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, yeah. Just ignore Santiago. Talk to the people directly and oh, make it happen. Oh, there you wow. go. That's cool. No, no, I that you guys start, started touching on like you know, Santiago and Chile overall, like what's the, what are your experiences? Like I know Tom, you've been living in Chile for a while because of your exchange program, right? Um, what, what have you been, when your experiences overall in Chile, um, the people, are you, are, are they very friendly? Are you getting along very well? Have you made friends down there? Yeah, I might be planning a trip to South America yeah. next year, so I, I, I'm going to be all ears here. <laughs> yeah, any, any tips you got? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, uh, I can give you some recommendations. Uh, yeah, I've been living in Santiago since February, since sort of, I've been here for four months now, and I've quite mixed experiences. I mean, I, I really like it here. The people are nice. I've met wonderful people. I've climbed mountains around Santiago, but at the same time, I mean, it is a huge city. And five mil over five million people live here, close to six million. Huh. And I've never ever ever lived in a place like this. I mean, I'm from a town of about forty, fifty thousand people. I went to high school and to college and to university and, you know, in down similar to that size. I've always lived somewhere that's, you know, below ten thousand, no more than fifty thousand people, so being in a place like this freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> It is ridiculous. I mean, I've visited big cities, but no more than for a couple mm -hmm. days. I gotcha. So for you, a lot of the so culture shock is just here. the big city aspect of it, more so than just like being in South America. Yeah. Just being in a big city yeah. in general is like Definitely. a crazy yeah, experience. In general. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely the culture shock in South America. Well, the culture. I'm sure the culture shock in South America and places up north, Peru and Bolivia, where I'd very much like to go, is a lot bigger than here in Chile. Like. Chile is the most developed country in Latin America, mm. and it is very, very Westernized. Is it? Oh, okay. It is the, it like, especially, I mean, I haven't had a chance 
to be much out of Santiago, which is another reason why I'm looking really looking forward to be spending two months down south and meeting the people there in you know the small farms and the small right. villages. And at the end of the expedition, I'm just gonna trail off on all sorts of things over <laughs> here. Um, at the end of the expedition, we have two-week volunteering program with natural reserves and you know a small Mapuche, which are the native people of. Chile and uh, Chile and Argentina and Latin mm-hmm. America, like Mapuche, we are native people here. So we have a two-week volunteering program with them, with a small community. Yeah. Oh, and nice. so I'm really looking forward to these things. And living in Santiago has been the complete opposite. You know, very Western experience, big city, European American like, and hectic. Yeah. I mean, getting on the metro to get to university every day at you know. 8, 9 a.m. in the morning in the rush hour where it's like the pictures you see like only in Japan or something where it's like crowds of people <laughs> in the metro and you get, you, you get shoved around here and there. It's like you have no control over where you go and you just like, like suck into the crowd and smashed into the metro and you know. Wow, it's that crowded there. Pushed against the door. So yeah, definitely in the rush hour <laughs> it's, it's super crowded and you might have to let, you know, two, three, four trains pass before you get to I get gotcha. on one. Holy um, shit. That's, I didn't realize that. So that definitely for me has <laughs> been an interesting experience and something I don't know if I'd want to repeat every <laughs> in my life living in a place well, like this I, for I mean, a long time. That like makes that. sense for you guys because you're very, you know, you guys are very, very much outdoors oriented. You guys like to go hiking. You like to go camping. You like to go mountain climbing. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I, I get it. I get it. That makes a lot of sense. What... It, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure you in New York is, you yeah. know, it's, you must be used to this. I, I've written on on the blog, you know, like people in big cities might say, you know, Santiago is not that big and it's not that big of a deal. But for me, it's just wow, out of the water. <laughs> it's just, it's and, you know what? Here's something I'll say. I, I, I understand. I totally understand. I went, I went on a, um, a trip this past weekend to New Hampshire in, uh, you know, New England for you know, international listeners, but, uh, you know, it was a good six hours away in a car and I got away from the city and the smog and the people. And it was a beautiful weekend. And I must say that that is so relaxing and such a great, I, I miss, I miss having the ability. I don't have a car anymore. I miss the ability to be able to go and just be in the wilderness and, or not, not even the wilderness, just like suburbia would be fine, you know. Being in some more nature <laughs> than you are in, a, in the uh, concrete jungle. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> exactly. So I, I can definitely relate. There's, there's times when I'm like, wow, there's so much, there's so much concrete and it smells like urine so badly. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can relate to that here in Santiago, I'm sure. Yeah, here it's dog food, though. That's what you a lot, of, a lot uh, of stray dogs, I guess. <laughs> Lots of stray dogs in Chile. Yeah, yeah they're, all they're of Chile. everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. everywhere. Yeah. Oh. Lots of stray dogs in Southeast Asia, also. Um, <laughs> where's, where's PETA? Where's PETA when you need them, you know? Where are they? Uh, no, they're cool, man. I'll, I'll, I love the stray dogs. They're like, they're just friendly. They just want to be your friend, you know? They're yeah. just, or they want food also, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they're great over here too. I actually have one good story that is 
kind of an extreme stray dog, but we went to the mountains a couple of weeks ago and it was the first snowstorm of the season. And we were a bit wor- worried about avalanches and everything. The trail was snowed out. And by at the beginning of the hike, just a dog joined us and he stayed with us the full, whole four days in the mountains. Like Whoa. He <laughs> showed us the way when we lost the trail. He kind of just like spearheaded the march. No way. And, you know, we just followed in his oh. trail. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, just, we just followed in his trail. And it was, it was always the best trail, <laughs> like where the dog went. Just, don't know where to go, follow the dog. <laughs> That's awesome. And so we're just four, di- four days in the mountains, you know, I don't know, 10 miles into this valley, just completely out of civilization. Dog just went with us and, you know, he didn't even beg for food. I mean, he went off hunting rats and rabbits and everything. And at the night he trotted away and dug himself a hole in the snow and slept there away. In the morning, he joined us again. He just ran around uh, all day, hunted things and uh, and ca- came all the way down with us again, like on the fourth day. It was, it was that fantastic. That is awesome. so cool. That is... You made like a friend and a guide. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like the best, the best guide you could have. Yeah. <laughs> oh, have you? I have a question. Like, yeah, I just, yeah, I just wanted to take him home. <laughs> have you ever seen? Um, have you ever seen that documentary about the guy, uh, Timothy Treadwell? Have you guys seen that? I haven't. No. It's about this guy. He's um, he's a he's a bear enthusiast. Lindsay and Tom, are you guys still there? Oh, did we lose them? I think we lost them. All right, we'll be right back. We're having technical difficulties. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. Sorry, we lost Tom and Lindsay. Um, technical difficulties. But uh, basically, basically, these are I some was... of the these are the challenges that we face uh, regularly doing a travel podcast. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, can, I can imagine. <laughs> Yes, it's sometimes a pain in the ass. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that, that's what we were originally worried about. That we were kind of glad before if we were gonna do it, like both me and Lindsay being in separate separate places because we both had off internet. So if one of us dropped out, we could at least one of us still stay on the line. <laughs> right, right. I don't know. It's I guess it's kind of like it's kind of nice that you guys are in the same room and you get to have you yeah. both at the same yeah, it's, time. Yeah, uh, it's it's nice that way. It's yeah. definitely a lot easier because we can decide who's going to talk before, you know, trying to fill in. So. Right. <laughs> right. Instead of having to telepathically sense between four people in four different rooms in four different countries, <laughs> where, <laughs> who's going to talk? <laughs> so, uh, but that's a hey, uh, listeners. That's the magic of of uh, travel podcasting for you're connecting different countries and different places. So deal with it. Um yeah, this is pretty amazing, the fact that we can make this happen from three different continents. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. I I can't apparently I was talking to Michael. Apparently I guess we're pretty we're fairly cutting edge, you know, for being a low budget, you know, podcast that we self produce. Um because I don't know. Maybe. Uh, sometimes I, I just got the connection lost for a few minutes, and I'm like, man, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, but. Oh, yes, this is what you got to do when you travel. I mean, there's not always cutting edge internet. <laughs> yeah, but you guys do it great. Speaking of cutting edge, I want I did want to say this. I did want to, Mike, you, wanna, you were really excited to hear about this, um, that you're, 
uh, accepting donations for your trip, which which cutting edge technology allows us to talk about because uh, you guys are in Chile. Um, you guys are are doing something pretty awesome with um, uh, cryptocurrencies. Mike, I know you had a bunch of questions. Yeah. Oh, I mean, so, yeah, I'm not an expert on, on any of the cryptocurrencies by any means. Um, but, yeah, I, um, I think it's really cool what you're doing, though. I mean, I think it's an exciting area, this whole Bitcoin um, thing. And it's, it'll be cool to see how it all shakes out. But I know you guys probably know a lot more about it and have a lot more opinion on it than I do. So I, I'm interested to get mm -hmm. your perspective, you know, so what's motivating you guys to um, use these cryptocurrencies yeah, it is one of the one of the ways we're trying to raise money, and it's not only to raise money, but it's also to raise awareness of these cryptocurrencies, you know, mm. when with people who don't know a thing about them. So when we do our talks about the expedition or whatever, we're gonna try to incorporate this because, well, Lindsay's not entirely as on board as I am, but I personally love love cryptocurrencies and the way what they're doing and what they allow us to do, especially well, Bitcoin is the biggest one and we don't know which one is going to survive, which one is going to make it. But Bitcoin is, you know, right now the biggest one, the most popular one. Right. And it allows us to do amazing things. It eliminates the middle bank, it eliminates the middleman, the bank eliminates the fees and allows you to trade or send money to anyone anywhere in the world super easily, you know, with your computer, with your smartphone, yeah. within seconds, you send, you can send, it's so easy. You can you just scan mm -hmm. a QR code with your smartphone and you can pay, you know, a small organic farmer in Peru, which, mm -hmm. you know, which is one of the people that like started using cryptocurrencies, you know, farmers in third world countries and places like that. Really? It's so easy for them to set up because all these people have smartphones now. I, I was. And. It's a fantastic technology that allows. I wasn't. It, it's I wasn't so incredibly easy. T Tom, I wasn't aware of small farmers really using this technology. Where did where did you hear about that? Did you experience that yourself, or or did you read up on it somewhere? I I've I've read an article about it on it on. On the Bitcoin subreddit, uh, on Reddit, there's, you know, uh, there's nice. all sorts of Bitcoin-related news. And one of the articles a while back was about farmers adopting adopting Bitcoin for money transfers, wow. where you know where banks are not easily available, where it's easier for them to ah. do it in Bitcoin. That's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think the other thing I I like about Bitcoin is that it is not a controlled or regulated by any government or organization. Exactly. It's just, it's an actual like free market currency. Um, and a, I, you know, it'll be peer, very it's interesting peer to, to see. Peer currency. Would, it is, yeah, yeah. 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 And it's, you know, we, we talk all this stuff about free markets and this and that and the other thing, but you know, it's, do we have free markets when we've got governments regulating, um, the currencies and, and regulating interest rates, interest rates yeah. and you know constantly regulating you know it's like yeah and so yeah this is actually that possibly if it does kind of it, it, it all it takes is enough it gets enough traction right uh, and i guess that's part of what you guys are doing is raising the awareness of these um new ways of yeah exchanging money it definitely part of why 
we were thinking of accepting it. Well, it was Tom's original idea, him being the big cryptocurrency supporter, but I'm, I'm getting on the boat. Um, and what really started <laughs> selling me on it is the fact that, like, Tom is originally from the Czech Republic, and he goes to school in Scotland, has a bunch of friends in the United States. Like, I grew up in the United States, and, like, we're raising money for the Conservation Land Trust, which is based in Chile and Argentina. And so it's like so many different countries and communities that we're trying to like pull together for this project. And so it just makes it really easy trying to, to raise awareness of like an international currency, essentially. So like right. we don't have to lose as much in like international fees and transfers and currency exchanges. So it's just really cool that that can happen and that it can be used for philanthropy. That's that and, is and what is long term presumably the it's cryptocurrency bandwagon. Yeah, and it should be maybe even protected against inflation as well, um, versus other you know you know the U.S. dollar is we're they constantly just printing 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 arbitrarily more right. money and yeah. so yeah, you know we have inflation Bitcoin, and these kind of things basically yeah. Yeah, what basically what Bitcoin is, or what all these cryptocurrencies are, deflatory. That they're all deflation based, and so there is a limited amount of Bitcoin by the year uh, about uh, 50 years from now or something. All the Bitcoins will have been mined out. They are they are generated by mining them with your CPUs or GPUs, most of them, or right. the most efficient to mine them, most efficient way to mine them. And yeah, you have to mine these blocks of them, and that's how they're generated from the blockchain. But there is a limited number, and with limited number, it means right. it causes deflation because you can't have more of them. Right, right. And, and for this, so th that that's that that's what some people argue as a counterpoint against the currency. But you know, I don't really see it that way. I think it's a big bonus. I think it's a big right. plus for the currency. Yeah, I mean it's it's finite, it's finite, and and, and it doesn't really. To yeah. be honest, it doesn't really matter, because then you'll just keep dividing it by fraction and fraction and fraction, and then a fraction of a bitcoin, a one a micro, coin, a micro bitcoin will be a set amount, and we'll just start trading that instead of a full bitcoin or. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no one says that you know one bitcoin is the. Has to be the smallest right. amount, you know. When Bitcoin was yeah. a couple months ago, when Bitcoin was a thousand dollars, and one micro Bitcoin was a dollar, then you know, then people started, you know, trading or regarding it in micro Bitcoins. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, in fact, right now I own 0.1 Bitcoins. Yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to test it out and nice. see, uh, testing the waters, and so yeah, you don't have to trade in just full Bitcoins. Uh, you can do as whatever denomination you want of of it. How, how much did that cost you, Mikey? Uh, when I bought, it was seventy-five dollars for a point. It was, so bitcoins were trading for seven fifty a piece. So I bought point one for seventy-five. I don't know what it is right now. This was a few months back. Okay. Um, it's pretty <laughs> volatile. At the, at the moment, it's pretty volatile because you're comparing Bitcoin against like U.S. dollar, and so right. it's just you know the thing hasn't really settled down yet. And I don't, right. Yeah. So um, who knows? Maybe that's a reflection will. of the uh, of the other currencies that are volatile. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I also wanted to clarify for people who don't know what mining is. Basically, you can also, um, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, but I looked in this a little bit. You can create, you can mine for bitcoins by basically create by extending their network. I believe is that correct? You put up a little CPU and you can extend their network 
uh, and accessibility to different areas by just hosting, you know, basically a part of the Bitcoin network and you, in turn, the system pays you uh, by fractions of Bitcoins for how much uh, memory and storage or you've expanded their network. And then eventually you can keep getting, you know, more over time. And eventually you, you get a full Bitcoin, hopefully, um, and uh, then you can trade it. Um, is that is that the right way? Did I explain that correctly? That uh, that wouldn't be mining. I, I haven't actually heard about this method, but but mining is mining is a different thing. You have to uncover these you know these blocks in the blockchain of Bitcoin, and that. All right, love. What's a blockchain? Not I don't actually know. What that is. <laughs> the blockchain is. <laughs> Is the mathematical algorithm the data that's like what the, super what the currency is based on? <laughs> cryptocurrency, yeah. It, yeah. Each cryptocurrency has a different one. Has a slight, is slight based on a different algorithm and is mined slightly differently, but they're based off of off of each other. Yeah, it's but, over my head. Yeah, I you know use that. these words. You, <laughs> n- never, never mind this. You you use you can use your GPU to mine you know the blocks off of the blockchain to to discover Bitcoin, <laughs> and I thought. It floats right in now, the internet. B- it floats b- in the internet, and you can use your computer. <laughs> That's how I think yeah. about it. You can think about it. <laughs> and red, red, Bitcoin was really easy to mine a couple of years ago, you know, 2007, 2008. Right now, you can't really affordably do it at home. You'd have to invest into, you know, huge GPU stations and massive kind of server-like stations to mine it. And right now, it's not really financially feasible anymore for individuals to mine Bitcoin right, right. now. What, what are some people arguing about? Like what the <laughs> negative aspect of oh. the currency is that big kind of companies are getting into it and it's going to kind of monopolize that, you know, big structures right. and servers are, you know, getting the monopoly on Bitcoin, getting right. the majority of the mining and the control over the currency. Yeah. Don't want to get too into that. Because they have massive... I think we've, already, we've already gone too into yeah. <laughs> We've gone too far. <laughs> basically, uh, basically because they have it's massive computing power. But we'll continue yeah. Yeah. We'll continue it some other time. But basically, I think I completely misunderstood mining <laughs> based on what you're selling me. Because I thought I, I completely effed that I one I like up. your version better. <laughs> I like your version better. It sounds a lot simpler. Let's just go with that one. <laughs> that's yeah. why I, that's the, why the I mining aspect it is uh, it's... Um, I don't. It's definitely over my head. Um, I think the the key to it though is that over time it has it becomes harder to mine the bitcoins. So you don't you won't yeah. have just more and more bitcoins just appearing all the time. You have less and less appearing over time. And I think that's kind of the the big point of it. Right. No. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like it's a logarithmic scale where yeah. less and less appears. It's over like time. a real mine that eventually you run out. <laughs> yeah. How about that? You got it. You got it. <laughs> exactly. All right, so we're just no- gonna cut Tom out of this one for a little bit. <laughs> so nobody listened to what I said. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the outdoors and things. <laughs> so basically, so basically, if you're interested, you can donate bitcoins, you can donate cash, you can donate, you can get do it in cashiers checks, and just go to lindsay-and-tom.com, and you can definitely support them and their yeah. journeys um, throughout. And they'll Chile. have some kind of um, big button, uh, big button in the their homepage to for the donate. Um, I don't know, by the time this thing airs. <laughs> yes. And, um, and uh, that money, by the way, so it's going towards um, the Conservation Land Trust uh, to protect the national parks in Chile. That's, is that right? Yes. 
So I'm going to explain a bit on that uh, since we since we got around to this. The Conservational Land Trust is a private organization based in the United States. It's, uh, it's an effort of actually the founder of North Face, Tompkins, one of the founders, and it's a network of private parks in Chile and Argentina, and their goal is to convert these private parks into national parks, to give them over to the government and convert them into national parks. And one of them, the most recent one, happened Parque Corcovado in Chile, happened in 2006. It's the newest and sixth largest park in Chile, and with joint effort of the private lands that donated and the surrounding land from the federal government, from the military, that they agreed they would donate if the private lands were donated, created the sixth largest national park in Chile with the effort of the conservation land trust. So this is what they're doing. They have some amazing parks down south. We're going to be visiting one or hopefully two of them. They have organic farming, they have beekeeping, they have orchards, and they have, you know, untouched wilderness. And they do amazing things with the parks. That's awesome. So 80% of anything we raise, and hopefully more, will go towards that, the Conservation Land Trust. 10% uh, is going to go towards the University of Stirling Mountaineering Club in Scotland, which will go towards training more mountaineers and adventurers to try and get more people out doing projects, hopefully like ours, with lots of cool aspects involved in them, if yeah. I say so myself. Yeah. And... <laughs> Um, 10% is going to go towards covering a bit of our expedition expenses. And mm -hmm. if we raise enough to cover our expedition expenses, then that 10% will also go towards the Conservation Land Trust. So our goal is to have more than 80% of everything donated to the Conservation Land Trust. And for sure, at least 90% of everything donated will go. Any fees that we incur due to international exchange or PayPal or whatever will come out of our 10%. So guaranteed 90% donated. Wow. Okay. Sweet. Very cool. Yeah. So if you have Bitcoins or other cryptocurrencies or good old fashioned dollars through PayPal, uh, you can donate to that cause at lindsay-and-tom.com. Very cool. Excellent. Um, well, I think, I think it's about that time. Um, so for each of you individually, I will, I'm going to ask you this question. This is a question we ask every single one of our guests. Um, okay. And I, I'm, I'm curious at what each of you are going to have because you both like similar things, but you also like different things. Um, you're, you're very technical, Tom, while Lindsay, you're very, you're very down to earth and you're very much... Uh, you know your environment and science very well. So um, it's going to be very interesting. Um, what is, for each of you, one thing that you want to do before you die? Oof. You go first. Flip thing. a coin. <laughs> oh, God. So many things just came into my head. I just don't even know where to start. Yeah, any, anything. Oh, gosh. Okay. I think I came up with one. I picked yeah. one out of the many that came into my head. Okay, go first. I went okay. first before. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so I would like to, I talked about this with you guys, I think, before we started recording. So during my undergraduate, when I was studying environmental science, I was able to go for a month to a science station out in Arctic Siberia. And that's where I learned that I love studying 
Arctic botany, and that's now what I want to do with my life. But yeah. at the time, I didn't know that's what I wanted to do when I first got there. And so by the time I left, I knew that was what I loved, and I had so many questions about the place that I wanted to research and discover and learn about, and then I had to leave. So now I have all of these questions, <laughs> and I can't get back there. So I want to return to Chersky, Russia, and answer or look into all of my questions. That's something I want to do with my life. Amazing. That's amazing. Sweet. Sweet. <laughs> Arctic <laughs> botany. That's I again when you said that before I I had never really heard of that. And I think that now that you describe it, I just imagine these beautiful crystallized plants and <laughs> you just want to take them home and put them in like one of those shaking globes that has little snowflakes coming down. <laughs> I love that picture. <laughs> I'm just going to keep that picture. Okay. That's awesome. wonderful. <laughs> All right, Mr. Tom. For me, um, I guess one thing I would really, really love to do or I'm hoping, except for, you know, all the travels and climbing mountains or whatever, have a small organic homestead farm, you know, kind of off the grid, self-sufficient, solar powered, wind power powered with, you know, permaculture kind of place where you know, community supported agriculture and all the jazz, raise all, my, raise all our own food, grow all our own food and have that. Be not rely on the industrial kind of chain of food produce and everything. Very cool. Like a self-sustaining community kind of thing. Self-sustainable community, yeah. Hmm. That's cool. That's cool, man. Yeah, Very that's cool. neat. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, well, thank you both very much. It's been awesome getting to chat with you. It's, I can't believe it's like odd. Just shy of an hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, with, uh, along with technical difficulties. Yeah. <laughs> well, a few minutes of that too. Uh, no, we're, yeah, this has been tons of fun. I'm glad we could finally find the time to all get together. Yeah. In yeah. That's excellent. <laughs> Podcasts are great. I'm having a having a great time. <laughs> excellent. Well, yeah, um, thank you guys for coming on to the show. It's been uh, it's been really interesting hearing about what you're doing. Yes, yeah, thanks very much. We wish and also you... learning about these cryptocurrencies too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I feel like we dedicated a bit too much time to that. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It's a heated, heated subject. So, um, but we, oh, again, if, for our listeners out there, uh, you can go to Lindsay uh, EY dash and dash. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're back. We're back. Oh, we're back. Okay. Um, but now we're ending. Okay. No. <laughs> so we're basically going to wrap it up and, and thank you guys again. If you guys would like to contribute to. Lindsay and Tom's voyage. Um, you can go Bitcoin. You can go uh, Doogie Coin. Any kind of coin you want. Uh, again, it's Lindsay. Super Mario Coin. Super Mario Coin. <laughs> Boop, boing. This <laughs> is by stepping on a turtle. <laughs> go to Lindsay. That's EY dash and dash Tom dot com and contribute there. Uh, for now, this is Justin Castle from New York City. And I'm Mike Margulies, uh, calling from Malaysia. Lindsay and Tom in Santiago. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Walking the Earth Podcast. You can find us online at wtepodcast.com. There, you'll find links to SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Twitter, and Facebook.
Again, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.